Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him with his mighty, in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
Well, good morning, church. We want to welcome you back this morning. I hope you've had a good week. If you've had a good week or a not-so-good week, it's okay. Um, But uh, we're together on this Sunday morning, and we're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already started doing that already, and um, hey, it's going to be a great service. We've got some great things planned uh, as far as prayer segments and scripture reading you've already heard. Um, We're here today to worship the Lord Jesus Christ through song, and we're going to hear from His Word in just a few moments. And so we're here to offer ourselves to him, um, and that he would fill us, that he would direct us, that he would speak into our life. And so we're glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time or you're back with us this morning on this Sunday morning, welcome back or welcome here for the first time. We are thankful that you're our guest today. And right in the seat backs in front of you, there's a little white card. We want to ask you to just grab that right now and fill that out during the service. And you can drop it in one of the boxes by the doorways on your way out today. Or you can just walk up and give it to me after the service as well. Um, And we would love to follow up with you and minister to you in any other way. That's also, of course, for all of us, if you have a decision that you want to make, you want someone to pray with you, someone to follow up with you about any issue, any matter, or you just need prayer for a particular matter, we want to ask you to fill that out, put a prayer request down on the back side of that card, and we'll be praying for you as a church this coming week, okay? Hey, it's going to be a great day, so let's, uh, let's pray together, and then we're going to continue worshiping. Lord, we love you, and thank you this morning for the time that we have, just once again, to be here together. We know this morning that we are all sinners, We also know, Lord, that we meet a God who doesn't condemn us, but we meet a God who is very gracious and merciful to us to forgive us when we come to you and we repent of sin. And so, God, we want this service to be a service uh, that, Lord, honors and glorifies you. We know our hearts need to be clean and pure, so give us clean hands and a pure heart. Move in our hearts in a powerful way. Move in our hearts in such a way to lead us to a place where our ears are opened, our eyes are opened to the truth that you want to sing into our life, that you want to speak into our life today. And so we give this service to you, Lord, in every way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, as we continue in worship, I invite you all to stand with me. And we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, We don't just do church service, we are the church. Every believer is a member of the body of Christ. Everyone unique in its purpose, everyone unique in their giftings. And one of the things that we can do when we're together corporately with the body of Christ is to come together and encourage one another to confess and repent of sin and to try and draw nearer to the Lord together, recognizing that there is not a perfect person in this room. The only perfect person that ever existed died on a cross to give you that perfection in glory with God forever. So this morning, what I encourage y'all to do as we sing this next song is to get into groups of two or three or four, get into small groups, and we're gonna pray together. And the thing that we're specifically going to pray against is sin in our lives. Again, there is not a perfect person in this room. And sin clouds our vision of God. It does not allow us to live in the freedom that Jesus bought and paid for on the cross, and it does not not allow us to see God rightly and live in the freedom that he wants us to live in. So let's read 2 Corinthians 7.1 as we uh, put our hearts toward this. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. On getting rid of sin in our lives, John Owen wrote, 
the mortification of sin, putting sin to death in the life of the believer. And John Owen writes, he who does not kill sin in his way takes no steps towards his journey's end. He who finds not opposition from it and who sets not himself in every particular to its mortification is at peace with it, not dying to it. I do not want for anyone in this room to leave this morning and be at peace with the sin in their life. We have the opportunity for freedom. We have the opportunity to be made clean, to be made holy in the light, in the eyes of Jesus. And that's what I want for every one of us this morning. So I, I really encourage each of you, there's gonna be a, a list of passages here. Take a picture of those, write them down. And as you pray together this morning, read through those passages and have your hearts spurred towards the Lord so that the offering that we bring to God this morning would be in spirit and in truth, one that is unclouded by sin. So feel free to gather as we sing this song.
Let's continue and worship through song together as a church.
There we go. Hey, listen, we're at a time. We're gonna have a time of prayer together this morning, and so you can feel free to come to the front if you want to come and kneel here at the front, or you can come if you'd like to come down and you're not physically able to kneel. You can sit down on the front row here. It's not. Hey, nobody will bite you on the front row at a church. I can, I can promise you that. No one ever sits on the front row of a church. But you're welcome to come down and and uh, pray with us um, as we pray over. Um, over important matters in, uh, in our lives, important matters to what the Lord wants to do in our lives. Um, and uh, uh, let's spend some time with him together in prayer before we get into his word. We've been singing about a lot of truth this morning, and uh, the Lord has brought us to this point, to this place in the service, as we remember who the Lord Jesus Christ is, our King. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is the one who brings us to this point. You are not here today without what he did on the cross and from the grave. And so we celebrate that. We pray to the one who can move mountains. We pray to the one who does work in mysterious ways. And he is the one who is our healer. He is the one who is our protector. He is the one who is our provider. He is the one who knows you better than you know yourself he is the one who knows us collectively as a congregation better we, than we know ourselves. And so let's go to the one where we receive everything and where we can give ourselves to him in every way. So let's pray to him this morning. God, as we come to you, we thank you for this service. We thank you for the time that we've had to read your word together this morning. We thank you this morning for the time that we have had to d- together to sing praises to you, to be edified, to be taught. Lord, good music ought to teach us about you. It ought to remind us about you. And we have certainly been reminded about who you are and about what you have done and about who we are in relation to you. And we understand you, God, to be a God who is holy, a God who is perfect in every way, where there is no sin. We thank you, Lord, that even though we live in a world that is so broken, we look ourselves into the, in the mirrors, Lord, and we see ourselves as broken. Lord, we look to you when we open your word and we see a God who is perfect and holy in every way. And then we see our lostness. We see, Lord, our emptiness apart from you. We see what this world has to offer and it consistently leads us down the road of chaos and emptiness. But in you, there is peace, God. In you, there is joy, In you there is hope, 
In you, you fill us, you step into our life, Lord, and you fill us with something that we could never receive in this world. We could never receive in our own lives, by our own merit, in our own way of living our life. God, we come to you because you give us all things. You give us everything. You brought us into the world. Lord, you know how many days you've given us on this earth. And you, Lord, have provided for us an opportunity to know you in a personal way. A way that, Lord, cannot take place apart from your Son. What your Son did on the cross, Jesus, and what you did, Jesus, from the grave, Lord, gives us reason to come in this place and to worship you. We know that we cannot just believe in you casually. Lord, we have to give our hearts to you. We have to believe that you are the Son of God. We have to believe that you did, were, did die on the cross and were buried and rose from the dead. We believe these things this morning, and so, God, we turn away from our sins and follow you. Lord, you step into our life and you save us. You redeem us. You reconcile us unto yourself. God, you change us, and you mold us, and you shape us into the men and women and teenagers and children you've called us to be, the people that you've called us to be. We thank you for the gift of the church, for Lord, we see you when we gather together. The beauty of, of, of how different we all are, and yet we come together, Lord, and you do a miracle. You miraculously move among us, and you make us into a people, a family, the body of Christ, you tell us. You show us, Lord, what it is that we're called to do towards one another. We were never made and, and designed, Lord, to live in isolation from one another, but to live inside of a community with one another, Lord, ministering to one another, holding each other accountable on our way to consistently and continually moving towards you, Lord Jesus. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. We long for the day that we can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But until then, Lord, what we pray into our life this morning as a congregation is that God, you would look upon us as a church that you would find us as a congregation, a people, Lord, that are in tune with you, a people that love you, a people that, Lord, don't just love you in name only or in word only, but in deed, in how we live our life, different and distinct from this world. For, Lord, we are a chosen race, holy and acceptable to you. We have been declared righteous by you, even though we look in the mirror and we don't see righteousness. Yet you declare us righteous. You declare us holy. We don't understand that and we can't get our minds around that, but Lord, we pray that into our life. We pray that, Lord, not only would we be declared righteous, but that we would pursue righteousness in our life. That we would pursue you, right living, right thinking in the way that we live our life, in the way that we think, in the way that we speak. Lord, mold us and shape us as a potter does clay. God, that you would step into our life that you would have no boundaries, that you would have no barriers to any area of our hearts, any barrier to our heart, to our mind. God, that you would have full and complete reign over us, for that is what it means for Lord Jesus, you to sit on the throne of our hearts. God, that you would fill us as a congregation with your Holy Spirit, that you, Lord, would look upon us, that you would turn your face towards us this morning, that you would shine your face upon us today, that you would see us as a people that are striving to live the way you want us to live, to be the light in a community that is dark, in a world that is dark, in a nation that is dark. That we would be different, that we would be different and distinct. That, Lord, we would be set apart. 
in the way that we live our lives. Father, would you bring about love and rejoicing among us as a congregation that we would genuinely love each other, that we would genuinely bear one another's burdens, that we would genuinely care about each other's needs, that we would put the needs of others ahead of our own needs, that, Lord, we would not walk around with bitterness or animosity or hatred in our hearts towards any other brother or sister in Christ, that, God, we would get those things right today, that we would, Lord, live in full and complete unity with one another, even in our diversity. Lord, would you do these things in our hearts and in our life and collectively in us as a church? Lord, we pray now that you, as we turn to your word, Lord, speak into our life Mold us and shape us into the congregation, into the people, into the individuals that you have called us to be, Lord. We put ourselves underneath the authority of your Holy Spirit. We put ourselves under the authority of your word this morning. Speak to us, and we would respond with obedience today, Lord, in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Hey, It smells like cookies up here, and the reason is because Austin's wife made cookies for the worship team, and they had it during rehearsal, so it still smells like cookies up here, but there are no cookies here, so I guess they got taken. If they got eaten, there's something else, but I missed out on the cookies. I guess I'll get one after church, but hey, listen, we've got our fall festival tonight. No, not tonight, this afternoon, four o'clock. Are you guys excited about that? We're excited. We're going to, hey, y'all bundle up in your jackets and cool weather. You know, it's going to be cool. No, it's going to be 90 degrees today, but that's all right. We have to wait 24 hours for the cooler fall weather. Tomorrow, you'll be busting out all your fall gear. Tomorrow morning, you'll all be excited when it's in the 40s and 50s, maybe. You may not like that kind of weather. We are. We're excited about it. Hey, listen, be in prayer for our fall festival, however. Be in prayer for that event later this afternoon. I'll talk about it more at the end of the service. But why are we doing this, even even this event? It's not a fellowship, although we have fellowship with one another, but it is strategically designed to reach our community for Jesus. We had a fun time yesterday. Some of you came up here and did some prep work. Uh, There was a group of us that went out door to door in our community, did some blitzing and passed out flyers and information cards and invited people to that event. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of that. We need more of that. You know, this is what we are called to do and to reach our community, and we do that not only through advertising, but doing it door-to-door, face-to-face with individuals, not only in our street, but in our community, in our immediate community. And so what a great opportunity we had yesterday, and what opportunity we have this afternoon to reach some families, not only in our community, in our, uh, in our region, if you will, as they come to this event. So y'all be in prayer for that event later today as we uh, serve the Lord together and uh, uh, strategically try to reach some families and individuals in our community who have children, grandchildren, and so forth, okay? I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. You see it above my head there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. We're going to return to this passage as we looked at it last week, as we consider this morning a life worthy of the gospel, a life worthy of the gospel. You know, we are passionate about lots of things, aren't we? We live in the South. What is king in the South in the fall? 
Football, that's right. So here's the thing, any football stadium across the SEC or the Big 12 or whatever conference your team, your favorite team's a part of, I can assure you this, the, the stadiums were not quiet. The stadiums were not silent. There was tailgating. There was incredible excitement. There was food involved. There was football involved. There was fellowship involved. There was a lot of screaming and hollering, maybe some crying involved. I don't know if your team lost. But all of that just communicates to me, it communicates to you that we are a people that are passionate about the things that we just get excited about. Some of you are excited and get passionate about traveling. Some of you get excited and are passionate about your job and what you do. Some of you are passionate about your family. And when I just walk up to you and say, hey, how are your kids? Bam, here come the pictures of the grandkids and the great-grandkids. Some of you are really passionate about something, something, that, uh, 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 something that has maybe some antlers or, or maybe it's something that's running through the woods. Yeah, it's deer season. You know, and I, I get a kick out of men because this time of year, you know, when you see a group of men together and their phones out, well, they're not sharing cute little stories with each other. You know what they're doing? They're showing each other what was at my stand. And they're showing the pictures of the deer that are at the stand. I saw them this morning already. That's right. Well, even before church. We are passionate about things that lead us, uh, that, that we're excited about the things that we're passionate about, rather. We talk about them, we openly discuss them. Here's the thing about the Apostle Paul. He was so passionate, if you walked up to him, you wouldn't spend five minutes with the Apostle Paul. He wouldn't tell you about uh, lots of things in his life that I'm sure he, that were important to him. But the one thing he would tell you within that five-minute conversation was about his Christ, about the very one who had changed and radically transformed his life. In Jesus, who's passionate about the gospel. We see it here in Philippians chapter 1. We've been walking through this book together, this chapter together. I just want to remind us this morning that we are a gospel people. We have been shaped by something that is far surpasses family dynamics, far surpasses sports. It far surpasses deer stands or any other thing that we experience on a temporary level here on this, on this earth. We have been shaped, we have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching to Jesus is what matters in life and ministry. It's what matters to our lives. I, I can't overemphasize that enough as a congregation. We are a gospel people and we are meant to bleed, if you will. We are meant to talk about, we are meant to exude this gospel excitement about Jesus. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. That is sharing the light with others. And sometimes that comes very strategically and intentionally, but it comes by way of our nature. When somebody walks up to you, do they see Christ in you? Do they hear Christ in you? Do they see Jesus Christ and how he has changed and transformed your life, right? Preaching Jesus is what matters in life and ministry. It's everything to us. We've seen this in the Apostle Paul as he's been writing here to this church of people that are gospel-shaped people, people who are filled with the Spirit of God, people who have been taken out of pagan lifestyles and pagan cultures, pa taken out of a, a hyper-religious culture, and they have been molded and they have been shaped together into this church, this little small congregation called the church in Philippi. God has done this miraculous thing. He's done this, this amazing thing as he's pulled them together, people who were jailers and slave girls and women on the side of a, of a 
of a river somewhere praying. These are people that God has taken and he has molded them and shaped them and he's continuing to do this work in them by way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look around the room, look upstairs, look downstairs and you will find people of all shapes and sizes, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all ages, all races, all tongues, tribes and nations in this room. And this is what God does. He takes us and he molds us and he shapes us with the gospel of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit inhabiting our hearts, inhabiting our lives. Paul has just said here to the church as he has thanked them in chapter one, he's thanking them on behalf of what God has done in their lives, in his own prayer closet in chapter one. He praises them for what God has done And then he talks about his own life. He begins to share about his own testimony, about what God has done in his life. And he moves from his testimony of testifying, if you will, to instructing. He moves from his own testimony, and that is the basis by which he then instructs the church in Philippi and how God instructs us. Look at me, look with me in your Bibles at verse 27 and 28. That's the only two verses we're going to look at again this morning. We're going to revisit them as we read them last week. Look look with me at what it says in your Bibles. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, church, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Look at verse 28, just the first part of it. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. You know, as American citizens, when I think about us being American citizens, we have reminders of what it means to be an American throughout the year, don't we? Think of it. It's not just flags. We are reminded of being, as as being American citizens, of things like the 4th of July reminds us of that. Memorial Day reminds us of that. Veterans Day reminds us of that. And the list goes on and on. We have these holidays. We have these moments of remembrance. We have these moments in which remind us as though they are like dots that are strung together, remind us that we are American citizens and we have certain freedoms. Being an American citizen throughout the year reminds us that we have responsibilities. We also have certain privileges that we enjoy, and some of those we're enjoying even as we speak. But what God wants us to be reminded of right here in these two very short verses that that you could actually take out and you could say, summarize all of the book of Philippians, verse 27 and 28, is this. What God wants you and I to remember this morning is that a life changed by Jesus is a life that stays true to the gospel. A life that is changed by Jesus, and many of us, most of us in this room have, stays true to this gospel message, to this gospel power. The gospel shapes not just what we believe, oh, it shapes how we live. It just doesn't shape what we say we believe, such as we believe in the Bible, we believe in Jesus, we believe in this, we believe in that. We raise our hands or we stand and we worship in the goodness of our hearts, the great hymns of the faith and the great praise and worship songs that we've been singing even this morning. It's not just by word only, but in how we live our life. It's how we think, how we speak, what we do, with our hands, with our feet, how does the gospel shape your life, right? It ought to shape it all. Our focus, 
is to center on our lives on who the, what the gospel is. Look at what Paul says there in verse 27 at the beginning. He says, a life that is worthy of the gospel. He moves from his testimony, his own testimony. In fact, if you looked back at verse 21, this is what he says about his own life. He says, for me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. In other words, if he died today, he'd be in the presence of a holy God with Jesus Christ. Praise God. But if he's here on earth, God has a purpose and a plan for his life. He's going to devote his life to doing what God wants him to do and how to carry out his life. That's his testimony. Now, he moves from his testimony now to instructing the Philippians how God instructs us. He says, only if I'm in prison and I'm here and I'm there, only let your manner of of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. One command, everything points or pivots off of this for the rest of these two verses. This one directive pivots or is pivoting that everything after this pivots off of this one particular directive. Paul, of course, is in prison. He's in chains, if you will. But his life is everything about his life is about the gospel. And he looks at, he then looks and he writes, if you will, he writes from a distance to the Philippians and he says, okay, you do the same. My life is driven by the gospel. My life is driven by who, by, by my Jesus, by how I live my life. Now you go do the same. Let your life be worthy of this gospel, this very same gospel that I'm in prison for, for just simply talking to people about. I'm not ramming it down anyone's throat. I'm not screaming at people in their faces. I'm loving people, and I'm sharing with them a better way, the only way, the only truth, the only life, and I'm in prison for it. Now, that's me. That's my life. That's what God has for me and has in store for me, and God has a purpose and plan for my life. Now, you go do the same in the sense of let your life matter or be worthy of this gospel. See that word only in verse 27? It's, it's what he's saying there is whatever happens, just this one thing he wants them to remember. This is the point that I want you to remember, Philippians. Let your manner, what does that word manner mean? Let's just unpack the word for a moment. What does it mean that your manner of life? It's, it's how you think, it's how you live, right? It's, it's how you lead. It's how you conduct yourself. It's your attitude. Now, that's a very politically charged word, by the way. That word that he's saying there, manner, is actually a political word. It means citizen. In other words, what Paul is trying to say to this group of people where in which Philippi, the city in the town of Philippi, was a very political city, the Roman Empire, And what he's saying here to the Christians is he's saying, listen, God has taken you out of a pagan lifestyle. Some of you he's taken out of a hyper-religious lifestyle. And he's put you together, and you're now citizens, not of Philippi only. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. You are citizens of something that is bigger and greater. Therefore, that becomes the priority of your life. And what does this is the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives you this citizenship. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. Live like it. Think like it. Speak like it. And this is continuous. If you look at verse 27 again, only let your manner of life. It's a continuous action here. As citizens of the kingdom of God, keep on living in a way that is worthy of the gospel. What he's not saying here in this one little phrase in verse 27, he's not saying that, that um, to, 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 to be worthy or to li- to, like you're going to gain something in the end. He's saying that instead live up to the measure, live up to this name or this this understanding of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, live up to that standard. It's not that you're going to receive something in the end, so to speak, 
it's live up to this expectation. The gospel for the Philippians and what Paul's trying to say to them was to frame how they were to live as citizens of Jesus Christ in this kingdom, this kingdom of God. It was to frame how they were to think, how they were to make decisions with their lives, how they were to live in the context, if they were married, to live in context of marriage, how they were to think as a family, how they were to conduct themselves even as a family, whether children or fathers or mothers or husbands and wives. It was to be who they are. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't just get us across the finish line so that, hey, I'm going to be with, in heaven with Jesus someday. It rearranges our lives. It rearranges our thinking. It rearranges how we live our lives, what we value. And, and, and we understand that we're, we Christians are citizens of a Christian community. Therefore, we pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ above Caesar. That's what he's saying to the Philippians. Yes, Caesar is your Caesar in Rome. But you pledge your allegiance to Jesus Christ above your Caesar. And that becomes what drives your life and what what drives your understanding of that. In our context, it would be we pledge allegiance and, and, and devotion to not our government and not our local authorities, not our national authorities. Primarily, we pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of God. We have two dual citizenship here on earth. We're proud to be an American, but I'm proud, more prouder, and I am more excited about being a follower of Jesus Christ and part of the kingdom of God. That is what drives my life. That is what shapes my values. That is what shapes my morality. That is what shapes my decision making. Not just what the government says or what this person or that person says. That is always trumped by what the Bible says and what God says to me in my life. That is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God shaped by the gospel. A life changed by Jesus is one who stays true to that. Stays true to that. So Paul is saying this in verse 27, only let your manner of life or citizenship of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let it, be, let it rise to the level of living with clarity how you, that you are a born again follower of Jesus Christ. Clear, identifiable gospel changes a community of faith that is organized really in a local church, a community of faith. It's worthy of the gospel. Paul says all of this so that you would have a testimony as well. Because back in verse, or back in chapter one, earlier in chapter one, he says, listen, whether I'm away or I'm near to you, that I would hear these things about you, that I would see these things from afar. That's what a good testimony is, right? It's not just what you say, but it's in how you live your life. You see, there are people to your left or to your right, people who know you the best around you, I might have a perspective of you, but the person to your left or to your right, or the person in front of you or behind you, or the person in this room that knows you the best, knows you the best. I don't know you the best. They see in your life at work. They see what you say at work and then how you live your life in the local church. They see how you live your life in your home. We just see you here on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, or throughout the week when we get together for lunch or something. But what a true testimony is, what integrity is, it's not only what you say you believe in, but it's in how you live your life. God wants you and I to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? How do you do that? That's all like right up here, right? 
So it's, it's specifically, how does God want us to do that? How do we rise our, raise our lives up to the manner of which we're living in context and living in light of who God is and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I think that's where Paul goes next. He doesn't just say, he listen, I doesn't lay this command upon the church. He then shows them what he means by that. I mean, look at the verse again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear. Now, here's what he wants to hear. This is what it means to live in, you know, a, a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And remember, he's talking to individuals, but he's talking collectively to the church in Philippi. In Philippi. He says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Here's how we live. How we live in such a way to stay true to the gospel of Jesus. We stand firm together. He says to the church, stand firm together. That I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. In other words, Paul says from a distance, he says, listen, what I want to hear from a distance, what I want to see from a distance is that that you would be known for what you stand together for. What you stand together for. To be firmly committed means to be firmly committed in conviction and in belief. That you would stand together in what you believe. Paul's going to use this theme time and time again. He's going to use it with the churches in Galatia. He's going to use it again here in Philippians chapter 4. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and what it says there in verse 1. He's going to say here, for freedom Christ has set us free. We sang about freedom this morning, didn't we? Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He uses the same wordage, same language. Again, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, later on in this chapter, or in this, later on in this letter, he's going to say, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's going to use this phraseology, if you will, again. The Christian's stand is together, how we live our lives together. We live our lives with one spirit or one soul. That means inside and outside. That means together internally as a congregation and how we interact with each other and outside to the community who's watching. They see a congregation that stands for stuff, that stands for things, that stands for convictions, that stands for truth, right? What he doesn't want is it's not a gathering place. We are not to be a gathering place for agendas or individualism. We don't come in, into our congregation with all kinds of agendas that we're trying to shape and mold and ramrod through. That if these people, if, if my church would just try to be like me or what I want or how my church was growing up or the church that I came from, if my church would just be like that, we'd be better. We don't come in with that kind of agenda. We don't come in with that kind of individualism. We come in with the desire with one spirit moving in the same direction. Therefore, we don't have divisiveness around the things that matter most. We don't live divided. We pray the same prayers to the same God. You see that in Acts chapter 1, where God moved with power. We evangelize in the same way together. This is one of the things I loved about the little blitz we did yesterday. Just about an hour, we went out in the community. We didn't even evangelize, so to speak. But as I looked around our little circle, there were teenagers and there were children and there were adults and there were singles there and there were married couples there. You know, it, God moves among us. It's what we stand together for when we pray together, when we evangelize together, when we study and think about the Word of God together, what we believe together, when we have the same kind of love together, when we have the same kind of heart together. 
There's a big difference in differences and being divisive. We can all have differences, and we all have differences in this room. We have differences in the way that we think and what we think should happen or shouldn't happen. We have differences in personal preferences about all kinds of things. I have personal preferences. You have personal preferences. There is a difference in having differences that are okay. Differences are okay. I can assure you of this, married couples in the room, you as a married couple don't see eye to eye on everything. Do y'all just like look at each other and go, yeah, I can't believe we're finishing each other's sentences. I mean, we were so much the same. You haven't seen my marriage, because we're different. Just like y'all, y'all are all different. Every husband and wife, every time I have counseled and done premarital counseling with a couple, I start laughing when I look at the husband and the wife, the future husband and the wife, when they sit in a room with me, and I look and I see, and I can see all of their dis- different, distinct differences they have, and yet God takes this couple and he compliments one another and he brings this union together in a beautiful way. It's the same in the church. We can have differences. We can have differences in the way we think and how we view things, but we ought not be divisive with those differences. We ought not try to push those differences upon other people, right? There is a difference in having differences and laughing about them and appreciating them, moving forward together and being divisive, being disagreeable in the way that we interact with one another. No, what Paul says right here, he says, listen, if you want to live up to the measure of the gospel, a life changed by Jesus is a life that stays true to the gospel. If you want to look like that, if you want to sound like that, Paul says to the church in Philippi, from a distance, whether I'm with you or I'm away, I want to hear something. I want to hear about this testimony in your life that you are, look at verse 27, that you are standing firm in one spirit. By the way, that's little s, not big S. It's how we think about one another. It's how we live our life. It's what makes us up as a congregation. It's standing firm together. Life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus stands firm together. But I want you to notice what else he says is another way to stay true to the gospel is by living worthy of the gospel, is striving together in the faith. And look at verse 27 again. He says that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Look at this, striving side by side. That's laboring side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's not casual Christianity, by the way. That's not cultural Christianity, by the way. That's not just saying, I believe in Jesus in name only. That is work alongside one another. That is striving side by side with one another, right? As we not only have been impacted by Jesus, but are living out the gospel in our lives together. Notice Paul's not saying here, he's not speaking specifically to individuals. He's speaking collectively to the body, to the church in Philippi. This is how they were to be known for. This is what they were to be known for. This is what they were to be, to, how they were to live their life in context with one another. Don't just stand firm, but daily battle. The, the, the Christian life is not just standing firm. It is daily battling and striving together towards the same God with the same gospel. That's what gospel living looks like. It's contending together for the faith. It's fighting to preserve the faith. It's fighting to preserve what the Bible says about the things that matter to him. It's striving side by side for truth. This is why what we believe matters. This is why when you join a church and when you become a follower of Jesus Christ and then you join a church, 
what that church believes matters. And then you come together and you strive for those things. The gospel message. What we believe about Jesus matters. What we believe about the gospel matters. What we believe about ourselves matters because we can get a lot of self-help in this world today. Oh, if you'll just feel better about yourself, you just need some people around you who can talk good things and, and whisper nice things into your ears and make you feel better. You're okay. You know, you're okay. Don't worry about what people are saying about you. You're okay. And we just have this self-help in our life. Stay in and day out. No, what the Bible says matters about who we are. What Jesus Christ says about us matters. And we strive side by side towards the same things. We say, well, we believe in the gospel, yes, but we strive and we, we, we contend for it. That's what God wants us to have, is this fight, this battle that God is, is, that is waging around, rather around our life in every way. This is why he says, I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving, that is a, that is a military term, side by side for the faith of the gospel, it's like a soldier that stands as a sentry on the point who is protecting, who is watching over. This is what we are called to do collectively, church, is to fight for that, is to contend for that. It's like any team, right? Let's just stay in the context of football. A team is how, how many people on an offense? 11. How many people walk onto the field as a defense? 11. Well, I got news for you. Eight of those 11 can't decide to do what they want to do and the others just do what they want to do. No, they have to all be working together towards the same goal, running the same play together. It's the same idea in the local church. We are to contend for the gospel together. Look at what Jude 3 says because it points this very thing out. Jude 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you, because this was a problem with the Christians then, to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is what we're called to do, is to contend for the truth. Because I've got news for you, the world and our culture is pulling truth apart. It's, it's, it's marginalizing the truth. It's, it's fracturing the truth. It's fra fracturing what the Bible says. And next thing you know, you will hear a thousand voices of just bits and pieces of what truth is, but it's not, one, it's not truth. That's why you and I need to be in our Bibles. You and I need to be praying through our Bibles. You and I need to be growing together collectively and contending together collectively as this culture shifts and changes and moves and, and shifts in every respect. We're called to contend for the faith. That's striving together in the faith. Walk of the, the walking with Jesus Christ is a struggle, is it not? Is it not? Yes, it is. It's a common struggle. We have a common enemy in our life. Every day is a fight for the faith. Every day is a fight and a battle for my mind and my heart. We need people in our life and speaking into our life, telling us not to follow our own feelings, but to follow God's will. Follow God's plan, not your own. We need to take this gospel message and faithfully preach it to ourselves every day. Preach it into your feelings. Preach it into your emotions. Preach it into your life, into your decision making. Every day. We're contending together. We're sharp being sharpened together. Why? Because the culture is con always contradicting the faith. 
I just want to remind us this morning that you are not alone in that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the room, me included, it's a struggle. But those who are changed by Jesus, we're called to stay true to the gospel, to live worthy of it. We need people in our lives. You need people in your life. You need people around you speaking truth into your life, together, side by side, contending or striving together for the faith. That's how we live in such a way that is worthy of the gospel. Well, he's not done. Let's look at notice of what Paul says. Because we're to stay true to the gospel, we live a, live a life worthy of the gospel. It means standing without fear together. I mean, we looked at this again last week, did we not? We talked about this, this issue, and we saw there at the, toward the end of this chapter what Paul says to the church in relation to opposition, in relation to adversaries. Paul tells them in verses 27 what to unite around. Now he tells them what not to be alarmed or frightened by. And in fact, look at the beginning of verse 28, and not frightened in any, anything by your opponents. It's the only time in the entire New Testament that this word is used, frightened. It's right here in verse 28. That means it's important. <laughs> and it's important for us to understand. He's trying to paint this picture for especially those who are in Philippi in a Greek culture of a horse that is spooked or frightened. You ever been around a horse that's just going along and all of a sudden spooked? Sees a snake, something. What does it do? Rears up, runs off. Now, you can't see the danger. You, maybe you can't understand what is there, but that horse certainly does. It's spooked. It's frightened quickly. It can have incredible confidence. It can be maybe just trotting along, and all of a sudden, it just gets spooked or frightened. Throws everything off. What Paul's saying here is, just like that, in our life as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, there will be adversaries, there will be opponents, especially in our culture where we walk with Jesus Christ and we come to church and we go home and we come to church and we go home and we try our best to live the Christian life and all of a sudden something goes haywire in our life. Someone in our family, maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's a close friend, maybe it's a friend at school, or maybe it's just someone casually comes up to you and does something in your life to cause fear or to spook you your faith. Paul says, prepare for that. Is this coming? But then he says, don't worry about that. I've told you what to unite around, live worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you what not to worry about, stuff or individuals or those who are opponents to the gospel message. Don't worry about them. Jesus certainly had his adversaries and his enemies. Paul certainly had his enemies and adversaries. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he speaks there in Ephesus about those adversaries or enemies that are there. Satan is our common enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. For the Philippian church, they certainly had the Roman officials. They certainly had people that were close to them who were Christians who had watched them step away from pagan lifestyles to follow Jesus, who may have been very close friends of theirs, all of a sudden planting seeds of doubt in their lives. Maybe not in a very full-on front opposition. You're an idiot. No. But maybe casually coming up alongside them and starting to plant seeds of doubt in their minds and hearts about following Jesus. Really? You really think that God wants you to do that, live that way? 
You see, opposition in our life comes in very front-on ways, like persecution. That's what we tend to think of, right? We think of opposition in terms of persecution around the world as a missionary going into a culture that is antithetical about Jesus Christ, and you walk in, you start to talk about Jesus, and that person's going to threaten to kill you. You know, there are certainly those kinds of things going on around the world, persecution of Christians around the world. But listen, Satan's approach to your life and my life is not sometimes and oftentimes full-on front persecution. Oh no, you and I will face opposition in subtle ways, marginalization to the gospel message getting passed over for a job because you have a biblical worldview and the other person who is maybe not as qualified for that job gets the job because they don't have that kind of biblical worldview. And then you're thrusted in a position, a decision as to whether you're going to soften your understanding of who Jesus is, soften your verbiage about who Jesus Christ is and your faith, or whether you're going to stay true to who you are at the at the expense of being marginalized and not getting a job or getting a promotion. Oh, it happens. I've known people that it happened to. But the thing about it is, understand that Jesus had his opponents. Paul had his opponents. The Philippians had their opponents. We have our opponents at times. Maybe you yourself was an opponent until Jesus got a hold of your life. And now your heart has changed. What God wants you to do to stay worthy and stay true to the gospel is to communicate to a culture that is lost, to communicate to a culture that they are just misguided, that they are wrong. In a loving way, you speak truth into our culture. And when you are opposed, at times when you are opposed, it's okay, you're in good company. Jesus himself the Philippians, Paul himself, others in this room have been opposed as well. No need to fear. Paul says, listen, only let your manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Live worthy of the gospel of Jesus. One of the things that I love watching are those who become true citizens of our country. Gone through the process. I can assure you this, those, and we've had some in our congregation who have become citizens even as of late, and some in the past have become citizens of our nation. But there is a sense of, of, of excitement, of joy, but there's also this sense of responsibility and privilege. Understanding what God has blessed them with to be a part of our country, to be a part of this melting pot, if you will, of people, of cultures, of tribes and tongues and nations, languages. But now having these privileges that we all share, having these responsibilities that we all have, there is a sense of gratefulness among those who have followed through with becoming American citizens. I think of this verse in Psalm 19, verse 14. What a great verse to think about this text here. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's what God wants for you and I to have. This integrity, if you will, of my life and of my heart. I to approach the Lord in that way. Let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's how I should live my life. This is how I should think about. We are all recipients of the grace and the mercy of God. We are recipients, and we have been poured into by this incredible love, this incredible mercy, this incredible grace that God has poured into our life with. Therefore, I am motivated, not out of obligation, but I am motivated to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I am motivated to do what he's called me to do, to think the way he's called me to think, to live the way he's called me to live. I have this incredible privilege, and I am grateful to live this life that God's called me to live, so let's live it. Let's have this gospel unity that only comes by way of us collectively living by way of the gospel and being worthy of the gospel. When the gospel is the motive of your life, and when it is the motive of my life, then I'm standing firm, I'm striving, and I'm doing it without fear. So don't be deterred. Live and stay true to this standard, to this life change that God has brought about in our lives. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And we come to this time where we call the response time. What God wants out of your life is he wants you and I to be committed to his gospel. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around, listen, what I want you to do is just take some time and spend it with the Lord. Take a few seconds, take a few moments and just ask the Lord to examine your heart. Are you living for him? Is your life a life that is lived, that is worthy of the gospel? The Lord loves you so much. If you're here this morning, you just want to recommit yourself to that, you can come up here. You can pray here at the front or you can pray with me. I'd love to pray with you over that matter. You just want to commit yourself to living for Jesus again here at the front to be able to receive that, to pray with you, to get that matter settled. If you want to pray where you're seated, that's okay. If you want to come and sit on this front row and just pray that to the Lord, just as an act of worship, just as some visible way to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus fully with my heart. You come forward. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you've heard the gospel this morning and what God has in store for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to know him in a personal way. The good news for you is this. You don't have to work for it. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. What God does say to you is to believe and to start following Jesus. Turn from your sins and say yes to him. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning, I'll be here at the front to receive that. We've got others here others in our congregation who are willing to pray with you over any matter. You come forward, they'll come forward. They'll pray with you. They'll help you. Any decision that you want to make, listen, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be baptized. He wants you to join a church. He wants you to grow. He wants you to learn how to live on mission. And he wants you to learn how to share that faith with others and to live for Jesus, pointing other people to Jesus Christ. That's God's invitation to all of us. If you haven't met one of those places, if you're not there, then respond and say yes to him.
I'll pray for us. And then we're going to stand and sing a great psalm together. Worship him. And I want to offer this opportunity for you to respond and to come. Any decision that God leads you to. God, thank you this morning for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul, but the words of your Holy Spirit into our life. We want to pray that they would be not only heard, but Lord, latched on to. That Lord, we would be a people that are gospel-driven people. That our community would see us, people around us would see us fully devoted to you, Lord. We love you. We ask for courage because we need courage right now to respond to you. Give it to us now, Lord. Help us to say yes to you and to surrender. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us? Let's sing this song together. You have the courage to come.
seated. Hey, listen, this morning before we leave, just a couple quick announcements, very quick, and then we're going to, uh, to pray and we're going to give our uh, tithes and offerings to the Lord. Don't forget we have our fall festival today, uh, this afternoon at four o'clock. Listen, if you're a part of one of the booths, one of the games, we need you here about three, three fifteen. No, no later than three fifteen. People start to show up a little early. We need you to be here to get set up and and to be here. If you'd like to stay after church and help them set up, they can always use some extra hands to get that set up. There'll be several here all afternoon. So the more help, the the better. Um, but uh, that's this afternoon. At four o'clock, we have our fall festival, and uh, let's be very active. Let's look for people that we don't know. I know we have a good time with our friends, but listen, let's look for people we don't know, and let's engage with them and interact with them, and um, uh, make sure that they're welcomed, and uh, because we want to be praying for these people that we would reach them for Christ, okay? So that's this afternoon at four o'clock to six o'clock. We've got that going on. Don't forget, next weekend, time changes. Y'all got that down, right? Um, so don't, uh, don't forget that. We fall back, so we, don't want, we want to remember that. Um, the last thing I just want to say is I want to thank those of you who have dropped off cards and given me gifts, and our wife and I both. Uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, I'm so thankful for every one of you, the classes that have, have uh, given us some gifts and things of that nature. We are so grateful for that for this month, and we certainly didn't ask or expect any of it, but we are thankful. And we just want you to know how much we love you, we care about you, we pray for you often, and we are grateful to be here to labor alongside you to reach the, the, reach the God, people with the gospel and uh, to build the kingdom here on earth as God is doing that in us and through us as a congregation. So thank you so much for, uh, for everything you've done for us, okay? Um, last but not least, we do. We want to give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord as an act of worship. And so this morning, let's be faithful to give both here in person or online, or you can drop it off at the church office. Um, but uh, you can drop off those little white cards. If you filled them out, you can put them in the boxes as you leave today, um, along with your tithes and your offerings. But let's have a word of prayer. So let's stand and let's thank the Lord for all of his goodness, his grace, and let's give to him accordingly, okay? God, as we uh, leave here today and we go off to our classes or we uh, head home this afternoon, we pray, um, or rather we thank you for the ways you've blessed us. Um, you've given us life. You've given us all that we own. And Lord, we work. And Lord, you value work. But you've given us everything that we have, our businesses, our companies. And you've uh, given us, Lord, a lot. Some of us, you've given us a little. A little. But we're thankful for everything you've given to us. And what we pray now is we give our tithes to you and we give our offerings over and above our tithing to you. What we pray is that you would use them, multiply them, Lord, shape our hearts, that we would not be um, tied to this world, but instead would be trusting you with our lives in every respect. Uh, and that begins with our money, with our stuff. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the ways you've blessed us. We give our, this fall festival to you this afternoon. We give uh, our community to you in your hands. Use us to point people to Jesus Christ, your son, this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you.